0: Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Today, we're happy to welcome Sim, founder and general partner of Lemonade Stand. After 20 years of growing products in a number of startups, most notably at Skype in Tallinn, London and Berlin, Sim set up Lemonade Stand in 2019 to invest in early-stage Baltic and Eastern European startup. Lately, he's been looking for AI and machine learning applied to boring business problems. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving us a review and following the European VC on LinkedIn.
1: Team, welcome to the European VC Podcast. Super nice to have you today. How's everything on your side?
2: Hello, hello. It's good. It's kind of springy winter in Tallinn, Estonia. Yeah, that's it's how funny. I would describe it in Denmark.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's also how I would describe it in Portugal, actually. We've been out with some bad weather these days. Anyways, Seem, let's start with the basics, maybe. I feel like some people uh, might not know that much about you. And so maybe it would be nice to give some time for us to kind of just give a quick rundown of who you are, what you've been up to, but also... What you're doing now and I love I love the name but I won't I won't reveal it yet
2: for sure so I've been practicing this part <laughs> uh, before I started building lemonade stand which is the name of the, the fund that uh, we're investing from I spent about 20 years um, building startups Skype is probably the name that people have heard I went joined that when it was 50 people globally and left when Microsoft bought it and it was 900 people and i mean, 900 today um, in a light of the the Facebooks and whatever. It feels very small, but it was a huge, so we're going from a startup to a, part, part of a big corporation, especially because eBay bought it first and then spun it out again and so forth. Uh, and then went back to very small startups, um, uh, sort of five, six uh, people bands here in Tallinn, but then quickly I was invited to go to London uh, by Eileen from Passion Capital. I spent a few years working with their portfolio companies And then some old buddies invited me to go to Berlin, spent five, five, six years there. And then kind of COVID drove back home. And while in Berlin, I started um, investing with a more systematic approach and uh, branded this as a lemonade stand. And now I've been doing this for the last four years. And my background, what I was doing in the startups was, was basically like marketing and growth, B2B software was kind of...
1: And and the question that everyone's jumping uh, over each other to ask is, why the fuck did you call it Lemonade Stand?
2: <laughs> well, I had to put my marketing hat on how to stand out in a sea of companies that uh, go by the names of capital and venture and... you showcasing your
1: skills with uh, with a Lemonade Stand as a name. Yeah. <laughs> I, but also
2: I, was, uh, I was looking for something that would tie myself and my partner together and... Uh, uh, I think Lemonade Stand is the archetypical first business that kids do in Hollywood movies. Uh, we were starting out, we're helping founders we just start out, so it made sense. And it gives us a nice punchy yellow color as well, <laughs> which I'm not wearing.
3: Which
1: you're not wearing. For for anyone not, not watching, only listening, because we don't have video, Sim is wearing an all black turtleneck, right? <laughs> so all right. completely unrelated. Andreas, go
3: on. Now, I was only about to say that your, your website is very, very yellow. So let's dive into into the color yellow. <laughs> no, I like the whole idea and your whole thinking around it. But tell us a bit more about Lemonade Stand. Tell us about your investment thesis, your strategy and all that.
2: Sure. The, the setup is a solo GP family office type fund, which gives me a lot of freedom. But um, I've set up arbitrary rules um, just to give us a little bit more focus. And um, the elevator pitch is that Lamanistan is a pre-seed um, and seed stage fund focused in Baltic and East European founders. We're looking for B2B software predominantly and sort of average ticket size around 150K, which means that we're never the lead investor. Also, in the sort of pre-seed round, I might give quite a bit of advice how to pull the round together and so forth. But we're very collaborative um, here, both with the regional, local uh, investors and business angels as well, but also with from London, Berlin and so forth. And uh, we started out as a very agnostic fund and have since then narrowed the focus a little bit. And recently, I've been called sort of impact tilted, Uh, whatever that means, it doesn't mean that we only invest in sustainability, but my kind of favorite lens to look at things are is there an interesting machine learning application used in the company? And does it also somehow cross with sustainability uh, future? And a couple of examples here, uh, since I've limited myself from hardware investments, how can I get the closest to the atoms as as possible? So a recent investment is a Polish uh, startup that is helping uh, farmers to um, get to vaccine candidates faster by using machine learning or um, the latest investment is a lithuanian startup called biomatter where they are using machine learning to generate new proteins uh, which are then uh, licensed out to um, chemical farmers and so so forth kind of are there any second order benefits to the investment that i'm making if it's yet another smb lending platform like maybe that's not
3: and now just before we start it a recording we talked about why should anyone listen to this podcast episode so sim you told us you had a great answer to this <laughs> so now the onus is on you to live up to that <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, i was i was trying to figure out what's the angle and i think it's the unfiltered view from the politics you don't get many visitors from this corner of the world and because we don't have an lps maybe i can be more uh, candid about certain things i don't please or say it. make sure that i still have the lps in the next round Although maybe there's a next round, who knows? Uh, but yeah, maybe maybe that's kind of the view that I'm bringing.
1: So much to unpack in those uh, small details in that sentence. <laughs> but,
2: but I think, I think you know, why
1: before going into, you know, what's next for Lemonade Stand and some really interesting topics that I had kind of earmarked here, why don't we start with what you just said? Give us the unfiltered view of the region. You know, I'm not there. I don't know it very well. I think I've never been there physically. What should I know about it as someone who's uh, investing in venture, whether that's as an LP, a VC, or an angel.
2: To give a little broad context, uh, last year, and I want to talk about Baltics. So Estonia, in terms of startups, is, we have to put it on a scale, like Estonia is 100, Lithuania is 60, and Latvia is 30. So they're, they're catching up on uh, this. If you low volume of startups coming out of there, maybe the quality isn't there.
3: I'm sure that statement won't get you into trouble.
2: <laughs> I'm willing to go on a uh, stage and debate that with anyone who wants to. Yeah, and it's about the density of the, the ecosystem. Here. Estonia has had a few more, sort of generation, let's say. If uh, Skype and Playtech are generation one, they, they obviously started, people started peeling out of there, sending up new startups like um, PipeDrive, Wise, uh, and so forth. And uh, people like myself started funding their next startups, and some very well-known names are the more sort of local angels. And that's starting to happen in uh, Lithuania as well, and to an extent in Latvia. But uh, there hasn't been this several layers of generations. And obviously, with the generations, you start building up some muscle. So initially, it's development and, and product side, and then you get into sales and marketing and how to scale faster across the world. So it's not just as a few years um, advantage there, but uh, I feel because the Lithuanian market, both the talent and just the overall population is bigger. Ultimately, as with everything else, they will overtake us. Uh, and I've been spending more time getting to know the ecosystem there. It has a handful of uh, local VCs. Most of them are not just uh, focused on one country or even the Baltics. Uh, they're uh, looking beyond that, either to Nordics or, or Eastern Europe. So um, the the pool here for quality isn't uh, super high. And I think especially now after the summer last year, the volume has gone down. And that's the comment I've heard from everyone in the region, but also from Western Europe side. So we kind of live and breathe in a very similar style as others.
3: I have a question, which is the Baltics seem to be kind of the place that both Nordic VCs go to and Eastern European VCs go to. And I'm a bit curious to hear your take on that. Do you see a difference in the the Nordic VCs that come to the Baltics and the approach that the Euro, Europe, Eastern European VCs come with? I'm just curious because it, it, it's the one overlapping region that I kind of see both parties kind of expanding
2: towards. You're right. So both have interest here. I think both have some sort of reputation from the Nordics, for example. Icebreaker is super active here, but also like a, Bigger, a, funds like random and uh, in and so forth and from the baltics i guess the polish vcs have been the most active for a while with the polish vcs i think the reputation was that there's probably state money in the fund so you need to establish an office or something in poland that that wasn't in everyone's books they they don't want to do that but ultimately depending on the market situation you maybe can't choose who your investor is that well not ideal but such is life right but I think for the ecosystem here, that's been super good because we have the regional, we have the Nordics, we have the East European, and then obviously you have like London and Berlin and, and Paris guys paying attention. So there's a bit more choice and more competition for the good founders. So all in all, I think it's very beneficial. And last year, for sure, I think maybe it was the wave before after the pandemic, but every week there was some VC in town like, hey, who are the good founders I should meet? And who are the local investors and angels who can be my scouts and so forth? Well, which is kind of exciting to see.
3: Uh, now, in the Baltics, just because everyone... I'm seeing right now that might be because the calendar says February and everyone's planning their event year. But it seems like everyone's asking, so where should I go this year? What what are the tech events that we should be going to? Curious to hear your take on the Baltics. What events are there that people should put on their map?
2: So there are two, two and a half events you should come to. One is, I think it's... in. I don't want to say it, just go Google it. It's in Vega. So you said like Latvia is catching up when it comes to the ecosystem, but the event there is very good. 2,000, 2,500 people, kind of small enough, but big enough. Get a good mix of founders, um, investors. In Tallinn, latitude 59, that's the biggest regional thing. I mean, you go, you step up from there to Slush, and that's like 10 times bigger. It's a latitude. And then in Vega, there's Startup Fair, uh, sorry, in, in Vilnius, in Lithuania. The startup here that was slightly smaller, maybe more more local, but even then you had some like Danish funds and Turkish funds and myself uh, there. So I think I think they have the Turkish mo- fund. A few Turkish funds have been looking around in the Baltics uh, for a while. Yeah, there's a, there's a few <laughs> others who are paying attention to the region.
3: Ennis and his henchmen are everywhere. <laughs>
2: yeah, well, of course he he's here. Yeah, for sure.
3: I I actually
1: want to ask you know um. Investors that you'd name from the region, who would you highlight? Um, not asking you to name favorites, but I kind of am.
2: <laughs> yeah. Again, in Estonia, I think that in my stage, the guys I collaborate most with, both in, in terms of sharing deals, but also doing deals, are Change venture, Super Angel, uh, Specialist VC, Terra VC. And then when you go um, sort of late seed A round and Karma, North Ninja, and in in the for example, they now have two new early stage funds called First Pick and um, Baltic Sandbox that is focused on deep tech. Probably forgot a few here. Sorry, sorry guys. Uh, and yeah, a few family offices are kind of um, active as well. Honey Badger, which is set up by uh, three PiPi founders, is quite active. And and uh, in the there are a couple of super angels who are doing fairly really, like high volume and and high ticket uh, deals as well.
3: I'm curious because as you just said a bit earlier, you are kind of a hybrid between a solo GP and a family office. And I'm always curious to understand family office motivations and how you think about both, you know, going direct and going into funds because you've obviously opted for the route of going direct, but have you also done LP investments?
2: What the motivation was, I was in the startup world and my partner was in like energy sector background, and, uh, I think he was at the local conferences here on stage, and after him, there was some local startups talking. So, And whenever we would meet, I would talk, tell him about my world, and they would ask him questions about his world. And then one point, friends of ours came and said, hey, we have this startup. Why don't you guys fund us? And after the discussion, we said, one investment probably doesn't make any sense. Uh, we should probably build a portfolio. Uh, that was kind of the story because we were just immersed in this. You build, you build thing. a
3: portfolio to uh, to make the one one investment that you have to do into your friend's company make sense. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay, yeah, so it's right a off That's the story, anyways. And um,
2: <laughs> and then it made also sense that I would take my my experience occasionally helping founders. So I was never a founder myself, but I was quite often the first or some, something like that help founders with the fundraising the decks and the pitch practice and so forth take that experience and, and uh, put it into a fund and we never sort of discussed in the beginning should we take so money because we wanted the flexibility and especially give ourselves time in the beginning to just learn and now occasionally other angels approach us sort of guys are you uh, taking money into the fund because I'm, i don't want to deal with due diligence anymore and making decisions and uh, I think we've, I've been doing this long enough. Lemon has been doing this long enough that uh, also Fund of funds started approaching us and with the same questions. The government has made a few calls for like sustainability fund and deep tech fund. And everyone's asking me, hey, are you guys apply, applying as well? And so far, the answer is still no. But at the same time, of course, I'm thinking like, uh, what's the next 10, 20 years for Lemon Do we?" Uh, I still think in terms of funds. Uh, so we're on to our second fund right now and once I finish investing from this one what's next so it's a topic we discuss on a regular basis but uh, for now stay the course
1: I'm going to interrupt you there Seaman. we'll come back to this topic just because you said something and again it goes back to the previous topic of the region right so the government put out a lot of calls are are you guys going to apply well the answer is still no right I've seen and this is not specific to the Baltics this is specific to Europe many of these programs actually like being really kind of complex and coming with a lot of strings attached. You gave an example talking about Polish investors, meaning that means specific things for the starters. blah, blah. So you've also seen it, I'm sure. How would you describe these programs in the Baltics? Are they hindering uh, more than helping? Are they kind of getting there? What would you say to that comment?
2: I can't comment on Lithuanian market. You have to invite someone from First Big or or Baltic, uh, Sandbox, I think. But they do, weren't complaining, though it was such a tricky process. For the Estonian ones, there's sort of late stages now with smart is putting like 40 million into sustainability funds. And uh, there, I have to say, the process has been very sensible. And maybe also because, again, the ecosystem is fairly mature, so there's a lot of knowledge. But also they did a quite inclusive sort of run up to the actual call where they were consulting founders and investors. Where are the gaps? Where should they focus uh, on? What should be the rules and so forth? So I think that was very sensible. And what I know in in Lithuania, there's a very pro-investor scheme where there's a state entity that is co-investing with business angels and uh, VCs. And they are only looking for 6% return. So any return above that gets split between the investors that were in that round. Um, so I know that uh, with Interactio, for example, that did a big A round where a lot of the early investors got out with a secondary and they got like huge X because of that scheme. There's a little bit of bureaucracy involved, but nothing too arduous. And now
1: back to, you are saying something that when I interpreted that I find extremely interesting, which is... You know, even though you have your setup, which is this family office-like fund, you know, I think it's like three LPs or whatever. Uh, last time we we spoke, you do think of it of batches of five million, so you do think of it as almost like micro funds, right? So I'd love to have you kind of expand on that. Why do you operate it like that, right? And and what's the reasoning behind it? And and just give us the details so everyone
2: understands. Mm-hmm. I think I just wanted or needed some discipline to myself, both in terms of like um, how do we think or how do I think about follow-on investments, first first tickets, follow-on tickets, or any follow-ons at all, portfolio diversification between sectors and, and, and startups and so forth. And then ultimately, in, in, in a few cases, we decided that we don't know enough about the sector, but we want to invest into this, Future Food being one of them. So back to Andres' uh, question earlier, yes, we became an LP in, I think now it's four, three funds and one accelerator, but just to give us this uh, diversification. In one case, like geography, in other case, sector and the is like early stage sustainability investing, but they do quite a lot, a lot of like hardware and material science as well, where I don't have the deal flow, the expertise, or the network to assess those. So we're kind of bringing in extra diversity, uh, diversification through this.
1: You said one thing that I found super interesting when we first chatted, which was about your LP investments as well. And I'm, I'm speaking out of my out of my memory and some loose notes I have. So help me frame it correctly. But it was something around also doing an LP ticket into, you know, a U.S.-based fund to also have data points from the U.S. And if if I remember correctly, you said something like, I do that, so I'm sure I'm not seeing shit deals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, But I'd love, I'd love to hear you talk a bit about that and, and what that learning as well has been from having those data points. Mm-hmm.
2: I think it's the same lesson I'm trying to uh, tell my founders that you need to see enough of something to know what is good, what good looks like. So uh, the um, U.S. fund we invested in is called Tiny Seed. It's a, also a smaller 20 million size fund, and there are B2B SaaS experts. They're looking for bootstrap founders who have gotten to certain traction and then want to take maybe only just one round of financing to get to uh, a different growth trajectory. And what I like about them is that we get the, and access to dashboard with everyone's revenue metrics. So I can start looking at, okay, who's growing faster than the others? What are they doing? What they're doing on the marketing side, pricing side and product side. If I want to, I can talk to the CEO and so forth. And that obviously gives me more sort of benchmarking information when I look in around in, in the region where I'm making direct investments. So that's been very interesting. Yeah, not just diversifying my bets, but also I'm actually
3: curious to continue that vein a bit because this is what we always say towards angels that, and I even had this conversation with um Michael Sitchmore from Old Ghost Mainstream the other day where he said, well, it's kind of like we're doing it backwards, right? Because most people start doing direct and then they do LP tickets later on, where you would kind of think that you would go the other way around. Then you do LP tickets first. Then you learn the ropes by by co-investing with these uh, these funds or and looking over their shoulder, seeing how they think about things. And then you'd start going direct. But it's kind of like we're seeing angels doing the opposite. And exactly because of that argument, they and I usually say, well, most angels would really benefit from from doing a couple of LP tickets either via a syndicate like ours because they don't want to do the full ticket or they do it directly for that expressed learning, right? But you actually, I'd say almost did, took it to the next level, right? Because you 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 are practically a VC fund. At least you, you act very much like one. At the same time as you then did an LP ticket to also say, okay, I, I'm looking over these guy's shoulder and I'm learning and I'm I'm seeing – Kind of how they think about things, and I'm curious to hear. Do you think that that's the best practice approach for most emerging managers to get that exposure via LP investments?
2: It's a good question. So my very first angel tickets were still directly while well, I was back in London, super like without any thoughts. I had some info information asymmetry. I just like followed some other investors in, into deal. It's still working out, so I haven't had an exit from there. When I was starting considering these uh, LP tickets, then um, we here with a bunch of other people asked uh, Sten and Tavit for advice because they had been doing this for a while and Sten kind of said something uh, that I still keep in my brain is like with funds it's even longer cycle uh, for the learnings so yes if it's good fund they're sharing a lot of information like especially if we get access to dashboards like this there's accelerated learnings but I think that may be rare and I don't have enough data points because I haven't invested in 20 funds um I don't know how many give how much detailed information on the metrics and so forth uh, to really educate me as an investor and then going, OK, now I know how to, what, what's a good investment.
3: You have to optimize for that. When you pick the fund, you have to make sure that you're picking a fund that will work with you like that, because otherwise it's just, uh, you know, then it's just money put in a place where you'll get a report every three months. Yeah.
2: Exactly right. And possibly the minimum ticket is high enough so as an angel you can maybe start participating through like business angel network with 5k tickets build up a portfolio like that but uh, the funds it's 100 200 250k quite often the minimum
3: yeah super interesting super interesting how about when you then have built your own dashboard have you built to manage your own your own investments have you really found a lot of inspiration in that or or have you gone another route
2: so when it comes to my portfolio not everything is b2b saas so not everyone has like Recurring monthly revenue where it can very easily compare. Um, some are pre-revenue where it's more about validating the idea, finding the first customers. Some are really R&D heavy. So we know that uh, when they were fundraising, they said in back in 2021 that the first revenues will have in 2023. It's like okay, that's a different investment. I need to think about this, but. Uh, And others obviously are B2B SaaS. So it's not all apples to apples, but when it is a B2B SaaS or even like an enterprise thing, yes, I can start drawing parallels like maybe 2% month-to-month growth isn't good enough.
3: Okay, so now we are about the place where we can talk about your future. Let's uh, dive into it Uh, because as you said, you started this uh, with the preamble. I am being more and more often approached by super angels in the neighborhood and also even some fund fund saying what are you going to do sim so tell us what's on your mind these days
2: so there's a couple of things there uh, as i said we've had the flexibility to really decide what we do. like lp tickets are a very good example uh, but also in terms of shifting around in the sectors i think um, i started out with more traditional b2b saas because that was kind of my background and understood that a bit better but then found every now and then sort of going outside of the normal parameters. So for example, in, but if we invest in, in the post A round, which is not the typical ticket or made investment in a company that is turning discarded lambs wool into packaging material to get rid of plastic. So all of a sudden it's material and manufacturing also like an exception, but felt very strongly that this idea deserves to get to the next, next phase and, and the, and they did. And also, two years ago i said like oh space tech that's not what we're looking at and quantum computers and now i have uh three uh space tech uh startups in my portfolio so i think if i go to like fund of funds with this uh talk that okay we're doing this right now but maybe we sort of do something completely different not completely different but we shift a- around a lot then that might not work for them it might work for angel digits um, so, I think that's something where I need to listen to your podcast a bit more to understand the, uh, the fund of fund side as well and how others are shifting around as the technology shifts, right? Uh, because something becomes all of a sudden not just popular, but also possible.
3: What what type of geo focus do you have?
2: Yeah, in terms of geography, I think I said earlier it's the Baltics and Eastern Europe. And when I say Eastern Europe, I know like uh, Slovakia is kind of, you look on the map, and it's kind of mid Europe, but that's the focus. And why this? Uh, I think both in terms of like competitive advantage, uh, it doesn't make sense for me to go and battle for deals in Berlin or even Stockholm, there's strong local ecosystem and uh, and investors, but also some sort of patriotism because I've seen how we built up the ecosystem here and I wanna take that experience and help to educate founders in Bratislava, for example, where they have a lead local investor that give them a term sheet. And I'm not gonna say this is a shit term sheet, but I'd rather say, Okay, these are the deals you got, or the terms you got, and this is what is the market average in the Baltics. So you get the comparison point, and you can decide what is important for enough for you to start negotiating on, and what's okay. Good news, there was nothing weird in the uh, slog and
1: <laughs> maybe a follow-up question to your um, initial reflection on fund of funds and and other more more kind of uh, institutionalized kind of LPs. What about you know opening up lemonade stand to uh, more family offices, right? Just generally speaking, uh, in the sense of, of keeping this profile, but just having more, more diverse kind of uh, a, set, a set of LPs. What are your considerations there and kind of pros and cons and, and, and thinking there for
2: you? It's definitely, again, something we're thinking about. I think what I've experienced now in the last year is that the solo GP model only stretches that far. Uh, ultimately, you start making compromises either on the deal flow side, the due diligence side, or then post-investment support side. So if you start taking some money and growing the money on the management, um, like organization building needs to not just follow, but actually lead. Uh, and that's something uh, you know, kind of working on. I'd love to day. dive more into that
3: because that is incredibly transparent slash honest slash cool of you to say because you know it's it,
2: it i promised you that right
3: yeah exactly but it is it is rare that you hear the uh the, the flip side of being a solo gp discussed that openly and especially from someone who is who's running that model right so i'd love to ask you to dive a bit more into that where is it that you're really feeling that that you're having to cut corners or and also where do you see the brink uh, so could you share us with us a bit about is it because you're, you're seeing that, you know, how many deals are you doing? Uh, because that, that shows a bit the capacity limit that you at least are seeing to the model.
2: The portfolio size right now is 40 startups and, then I said, like four um, LP tickets as well. The LP tickets are fairly hands-off, although the local accelerator is occasionally asking me to mentor the startups a little bit as well. Um, and I think that I started noticing that, okay, I need to start thinking con- more consciously where I'm spending my time around 30 startups in portfolio. I think if you're a very hands off angel or there are a few funds in Europe that are kind of indexing the market and are very upfront that they don't do any post investment help, then it can go further but since i'm I'm still trying to put my sort of background in marketing and growth on the table for for the startups that I invest in, I've started making i don't want to say cutting corners but uh, really being less active on on new deal size. And, and one thing that has helped me is the narrowing of the focus myself. So I'm kind of more aware of what I'm looking for and not looking for. So the no's are coming much faster. I think it's disappointing for a lot of startups in the region, because obviously, the selection of local VCs isn't very big for them. But yeah, that's, ne- that's been necessary for me to uh, continue uh, the investment pace while maintaining the quality of help that I can provide to the portfolio.
3: I'm thinking here. So you're doing 150k tickets on average. I, I would think that that means that you're also often not necessarily leading, right? Never, never leading. Do you fe- do you really feel that you then owe in quotation marks that much value? At
2: so this is where the human psychology I think comes in. Uh Maybe I don't know how to say no. Maybe I feel that. There's a nugget where I can make the difference between startup really finding their groove and not. Uh, maybe it's very egoistic uh, me to think that, but smart founders seem to want for help, and I've always made an agreement with them that it's on demand. They need to come and ask, but here's the play Sort of the user manual for me: what are the topics they can ask about? I sometimes get the comment that no matter the sort of the percentage you own on the cap table, you're the highest value. Uh, investor we have which makes me incredibly sad because it seems like the bar is very low uh, since I'm not spending like a day a week with them yeah so my message to all the founders always is like investors are lazy ask more from them uh, and founders actually miss a ch- an opportunity here as well uh, when they do their hopefully monthly updates um, I don't see very high quality asks for them and I know they're struggling with some- something so be as specific as you can put the investors on the spot, like. Yeah call out names who help them and so forth.
1: There's a lot to be said on that topic, and I'm sure you have you have quite some thoughts and reflections yourself, which is on the founder's ability to extract value from the investor base, right? So you can't expect every single investor to be you know, waiting for you to do the update, and then they're going to follow through with every single fucking thing you you write in, in the small letters, right? It's about for sure. how you communicate, how, as you said, right, the quality of the asks. But I guess there's also a lot to be said around, because you said it's, it's where the psychological part comes in, but... The example you give is you get the founders saying that you're one of the most uh, added value investors. Well, thats I don't think that's psychological. I think that's access, right? And that's thinking about the flywheel that comes out of that. Am I right
2: in saying that? Yeah, I hope so. Because sometimes it doesn't take a lot from me. Like They might come and ask a question, and I don't know the answer myself, but because I have a large enough portfolio, I could say, okay, these are the two founders, CTOs, the head of growth you need to talk to because they did the same thing or they win the same Shit, a year ago. Um, so right now, I'm I'm just trying to get one CEO to put together like a small workshop for uh, for founders who are getting into the sort of 1 million ARR point, how to scale from 1 million to 10 million because there are like a few founders in the portfolio who've done that now. So what are the accelerated learnings?
3: The most, uh, should I call it the best, the best solo GPs and best super angels have kind of seemed to have come across, have all had in common that their main value add is recruiting and network because that that is scalable that's quite scalable right because it's it's just about linking two people and you don't have to you don't. you're not being asked for a, you know a long session where we can then discuss the strategy going forward and you really have to understand the context every time you you get an ask um it's quite a lot easier to say, yeah, I know this guy. <laughs> ah, you should meet these guys.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. You get very good at making intros, right? And uh, just to
3: anyone listening in, uh, I, I think I wrote an email to Sim saying, Sim, you have made the best intros for a long time. So thanks a million for those. And I think it was three or four or so <laughs> that we made that all came through super interesting. So that was really cool.
1: On this topic of, you know, the Solo GP model only stretching so far, right? So... Obviously, once faced with that reality, one has two options: either keep it and and accept that or change it, right so no longer being a solo g p so on that possible route, is it like keeping your access long term one of the main kind of considerations that you have and whether or not you should have a, another g p join because then you can't really you know it's it's very hard to make sure that that level of service, so to speak stays there
2: I've been thinking here what would be an interesting maybe slightly different way to scale this, what if we could set up banana stand in Lithuania, where we find someone not quite like me, but who could set up a similar entity there, that then builds its own access, own deal flow, and we start running a parallel track and then do the same in a next country or region. Uh, because then we wouldn't uh, necessarily get into this, oh, I was here before, so I get most of the carry, That da, 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 all these things, especially because we're not operating as a real fund. So, yeah, I'm trying to, if anyone has a great <laughs> alternative take on this, not building a typical VC fund out of You're this. You're
1: doing the McDonald's model where you uh, franchise, franchise the name yeah. and then you actually, they own the real estate, right? So you own the GP, so fuck. Yeah,
2: <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably can't be banana, stand. there's a banana <laughs> cap in the US, so need
1: to come up with a new name yeah, yeah, sim uh it's been super fun and we're close to the end of the episode and we always end with a quick fire round and that's when i will ask a couple of quick answer questions 30 to 60 second answer each are you ready sure go for it first question what areas technologies or sectors excite you the most but that you find people around you not getting that excited about
2: very boring. I was going to answer like AI and sustainability and then everybody says the same. So, But the truth is that I spend a lot of time looking at boring solutions. So what are the actual business problems where uh, machine learning can be applied to? I gave a couple of examples earlier. And then maybe one that isn't consensus yet, at least in this region, is the future of food. Uh, there's not enough deal flow here. So as I said, that's one of the LP investments that we made. Um, one of the deals here sort of sparked me to this. I spent quite a t- bit of time sort of learning around this but yeah not enough deal flow not enough expertise to really help the portfolio company so uh, invest in a small fund that is uh, putting our mind to work uh,
1: globally second question what are your top tips for emerging vcs across europe who are now fundraising
2: yeah i, I don't have any tips because fortunately we didn't have the. fortunately sadly we didn't have to fundraise but um if i think how st- startups and people stand out and what makes others pay attention it's it's kind of simple you need to find your voice you need to say something controversial have an opinion about something and again this is not just for gps but everyone Uh, do the repetitions again like for the founders it's pitch enough times to get enough feedback to know uh, to get better it's the same for gps and and talk to the community that was super helpful for me when i started out just asking um, other both angels and VCs, what were the mistakes they made. And then, of course, I went and made all the same mistakes, but still.
1: Third and final question, what is the most counterintuitive thing you've learned since you've been in venture?
2: Repeating from previous question, like this about making your own mistakes, what I'm seeing a lot of the founders is that they struggle with the same things. Although there's so much good material, uh, written, podcast, videos, presentations, so forth, Well, you should have all the knowledge in the world in the fingertips and all access to all the people and everybody's still going and making the same mistakes. And I'm kind of hitting myself in frustration, like why am I not able to help here? And the second thing is maybe getting into full-time investing. I was reading about the psychology of like the long cycles here and the form and so forth. And while you intellectually recognize them, occasionally you do a gut, gut check, oh, actually that deal, like I wasn't using just the brain, I was using maybe wrong, wrong parts of my psychology as well, making decisions. Um, so yeah, battling with, with uh, our own minds. Yeah, I'm, I can absolutely
3: agree with that. I can see why and I think anyone who is fair and honest would, uh, would, would say now, sitting here in 2023, looking back and saying, huh, there were some times that the deals weren't made purely out of uh, out of my cognitive capacity Sim thanks so much for joining us today it was amazing
2: my pleasure thanks for inviting me
0: thank you for listening to this episode of the European VC the go-to podcast for everything European VC if you love the show share it with your friends and join our newsletter at EU.vc